Hello everyone. My name is Diego Gomez. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock Content. Uh, welcome to the Jam Sessions. Uh, for those who haven't attended the Jam Session before, we are bringing our favorite marketing experts, innovators, strategists. The idea here is very simple. Pick the brains for one hour from people we admire in the industry and marketers who are helping brands create amazing content experiences. Uh, today is a very special one for me. We have with us Scott Brinker, for me, one of the biggest marketing innovators, the godfather of MarTech. Uh, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, his blog, chiefmartech.com, is an amazing resource for those in our industry. Uh, he also founded Ion Interactive, and recently, in 2017, he joined HubSpot. Uh, Scott runs the HubSpot app platform. It's a very interesting marketing ecosystem. And today, we're going to pick his brain on some of these amazing changes ongoing in our industry. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Diego. Thank you so much for having me and the very kind introduction. Uh, Calling from Boston? I am. I am. And I apologize I'm not on video. I uh, uh, had a bit of a dental accident here under COVID lockdown, and so it's taking a little bit to get fixed. Right now, I look like a pirate. It's just not a very good look, so thanks for bearing with me. Uh, I'm curious to see, but uh, that's all about <laughs> I'll spare it. you. <laughs> you can't unsee it. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's get it started. And we have a lot to cover. We we're, we're going to go through some ecosystem trends, some interactive best practices. But I wanted to start on a very relevant topic, uh, Black Lives Matter. And recently, you published an article uh, on Chief Martech's blog resonated a lot with me. Um, would you like to elaborate a little bit your takes on that? Uh, why did you wrote that article? How it felt to you? Uh, and congratulate, congratulations on putting that up. I'm going to share the link with everyone involved here on the chat. Yeah, thank you. I, um, you know, so uh, on, on Chief Martech over the years, I've tended to really only write about one thing, which is <laughs> MarTech. It's a very myopic focus. Um, I, I don't have many hobbies outside of it. Um, and so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things in the world that I feel strongly about, uh, but I never really use the Chief MarTech blog as a vehicle for, you know, expressing them. Um, but yeah, everything that's happened here, you know, certainly in the U.S. over the past few weeks, um, you know, but clearly, uh, you know, also just sort of a, you know, a lot of the challenges we're wrestling with globally right now. Um, I just felt like something needed to be said. I feel like, you know, you know, change. <laughs> it's funny. So I always write that change is hard, right? That's certainly the case in MarTech, but certainly in, you know, society, um, you know, in the way we uh, live and work together, um, that change is hard. And it felt like the only way to really help you know, contribute that is to have have everyone's voice, you know, be be there, be a part of that conversation. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 think I, I don't know, yeah, I, I, anything there, other than you know? to say, you know, I think, um, I think this transformation uh, is something that's long overdue. And um, yeah, I definitely want to be counted among those who want to help make that happen. 
Yeah, I think our industry has a responsibility and uh, all of us engaging in this conversation and sharing their, their views and, and trying to support as much as we can. It's very relevant. So congratulations on that. I'll ask the team to share the link on the, on the comments and was really, really nice. Thank you. So uh, jumping into marketing and technology, you are the, the, the chief MarTech man. For me, you're the godfather. And I've been reading your blog for such a long time now. I'm very curious to learn when did this passion to catalog and organize the data from our <laughs> industry started and how has it evolved over the years? Yeah, it uh, talk about the, the accidental blogger. Um, uh, so I had been writing the blog for a couple of years. I started in 2008. Uh, and really the main focus was I was trying to persuade marketing leaders that they needed to incorporate more technical talent into the marketing team because, yeah, marketing was just becoming increasingly dependent on technology to execute its mission. Um, and so uh, the, the, that uh, message, um, you know, I, I guess was, was out there, but it, it certainly wasn't getting a lot of traction. And so one of the reasons I first started that marketing technology landscape was because I wanted some sort of visual to just be able to communicate just how expansive this technology ecosystem around marketing was becoming. And so, yeah, the first version of that slide uh, that got published in 2011, um, I actually thought it was quite a major accomplishment that it was like 150 marketing technology companies. It's like, oh my goodness, this, this field is huge, you know, 150 in all these categories. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think that graphic did, did have the uh, effect I'd hoped it would. It, it started a conversation, you know, about the evolution of the marketing organization and, you know, the marketing profession. Um, but yeah, I certainly did not expect it to <laughs> take on the uh, explosive exponential growth that it did over the years. That um, this has been a wild journey. Now it's a, a pretty impactful chart because you you see it every year now. If you're in marketing and, and technology, especially if you're a marketing technology company, you see it every year, and it never stops growing. So I noticed this year you went through a large, very detailed air table to share the, the data, really, really uh, valuable initiative. And we're now at 8,000 uh, applications in the category, right? Yeah, that, uh, again, this surprised me. Um, you know, when we topped out over 7,000 last year, you know, I, I have to say, I, I was thinking, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this is peak MarTech. Um, I mean, you know, 7,000 is like a huge field. Um, but yeah, when we uh, went through the exercise this year and it came out to 8,000, um, I was like, oh my goodness. It, uh, this is a really, I, I, I think it even I keep learning this lesson year over year, which is we are in a very different world, not just for marketing, but frankly for software than we 
were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, you know, and so I think we have to be careful about leaping to conclusions and we have to have a bit of an open mind to just be like, okay, this is, we are collectively charting out what this new reality is going to look like when everything in the world, you know, has digital components to it. Um, and uh, we're still pretty early in that journey. And one thing that I always hear, and sometimes I, I ask myself, is this going to happen? Is it not? Clearly, all the big companies entered the MarTech and, and started selling to the CMO and Salesforce and Oracle. And all the big ones are there, but there's no, no clear sign of a consolidation yet, right? Uh, uh, specifically for me this year, I found a new category that I found interesting. The online events industry moving really online with a new generation of apps like Hopping, uh, specifically for live conferences going online. Uh, when will it stop or do you think it will, it ever will? Will a consolidation come? Yeah, I mean, this is such a fascinating topic because um, there isn't a simple answer. I, I, I should say it's not just moving in one direction, right? I mean, so consolidation is always happening. Uh, you know, companies, uh, large companies buy smaller companies. Uh, if you have a set of companies that are competing with each other, you know, one starts to pull ahead of the other, uh, you know, it gets some momentum with that. Um, you know, so all the dynamics that we know from business and markets, you know, certainly applies in MarTech. I think what makes it challenging is while you've got that dynamic of all this competition and fights for consolidation, particularly with the major platforms, at the same time, because there are no barriers to entry for someone to come to market with a new software idea, is you just have this continual renewal of new entrepreneurial innovation happening in the space. You know, and some of those companies are going to survive, some of them are not going to survive. Um, either way, the, the, the founders of those may then yet go off to start, you know, another idea. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is years ago, it felt like all these different software pieces kind of all lived in their own little silos, which actually made it really hard for marketers to harness all that innovation, all that entrepreneurial energy. But as the industry has slowly been moving in this direction of platformization of, you know, having like, okay, well, you know, between Salesforce and Adobe and HubSpot and Oracle and, you know, I mean, there's like a handful of these companies that are now almost serving as like the, the tent pole around which people can build their MarTech stack. And then these more specialized apps, you know, that bring so much, you know, innovation, uh, you know, to what marketers can do. They're constantly experimenting with, you know, emerging ideas. Uh, they can now plug into these platforms, which makes it a lot easier for marketers to be able to tap into uh, that incredible ecosystem. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird space, right? It's like consolidating in some ways uh, and continually renewing uh, and diversifying in others. And I think this is an area I, I, I really admire what you and HubSpot are building. Uh, uh, centralized platform with a very interesting ecosystem. Uh, I think that's the, the, the right direction, right? Like uh, it's 
really impressive to see the evolution of the APIs, the app ecosystem over the last few years. And I'd like to congratulate you on that. It's a pretty special accomplishment. Oh, well, well, thank you. It definitely, uh, the credit goes to, uh, yeah, the full team at HubSpot. Uh, I am but one small piece of uh, a, uh, a, a large group of people who are very excited about this opportunity. So uh, it's fun. Now, and this, this conversation ties a lot to another series of articles. You notice that I'm an avid Chief Martech reader here and the team is as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, You're the one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's uh, everybody reads it here. <laughs> uh, but one thing uh, you brought, and I think you were very good at creating clear examples and uh, de uh, decomposing the strategy of what's going and the key components of the MarTech scene in your article, the second wave of uh, MarTech. Uh, can you, the second golden age of, of MarTech? We can share the links uh, uh, on the comments later as well. But can you elaborate a little bit on the concept and how did you came to those uh, conclusions and hypothesis? Yeah, no, happy, happy to. So I guess the, the original premise was the past 10 years, this explosion of the marketing technology landscape in some ways was the first golden age of MarTech. Uh, just right, an incredible amount of uh, investment and innovation in the field. But it's interesting that, you know, there were some of these dichotomies, these like oppositions that seem to really define that first golden age. You know, like for instance, one of them was uh, sweet versus best of breed, right? You're either getting all your software in one package from one company, uh, which was great in the sense that it should all work together, not so great that, yeah, if it didn't do the specific thing you wanted, you know, and then, or, uh, you know, with best of breed, hey, you could pick your favorite tool from every category on the MarTech landscape, uh, but it was really entirely up to you to figure out how to connect them. Um, we saw similar, you know, oppositions with things like, oh, are you a software business or are you a services business? You know, uh, venture capital that was funding MarTech, you know, uh, abhorred services businesses. It was like, oh, no, 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 you need the scale of software, you know. Um, and then even inside companies, you know, they would, they would go through this debate of should we build or should we buy? Uh, and it was, again, the, the, this very strong separation, sweet versus best of breed, software versus services, build versus buy. And I think what excited me was starting to see all three of those, you know, really sharp boundaries, the, the walls between them really starting to tumble. And so my, my, my hypothesis for this second golden age of MarTech, what I think the next 10 years are going to look like, um, is instead of uh, the tyranny of or, uh, right, it becomes uh, the delight of and. So instead of sweet versus best of breed, we're moving now in the second golden age to platform ecosystems. You know, what we were talking about earlier, this idea of like, okay, yes, you can, you know, pick a primary platform from HubSpot or Adobe or Salesforce, but then you can also bring in all these best of breed technologies as apps that integrate into that platform. So you get the best of both worlds. I think um, 
the software versus services debate has now changed a lot too. In this second golden age, I see a lot of services companies you know, that have software development talent, uh, you know, in their ranks. Uh, they've got, you know, really great insights into uh, how to solve very specific customer pain points. Uh, and they're building apps themselves. They're building them for their own operations. They're building them for customers. Uh, they're building them and, you know, selling them in the open market as well, too. Um, and so I think this whole, like, yeah, separation between software and services, I think we're seeing blended models of software and services. And then, yeah, the last one is kind of, you know, a, a similar uh, evolution on all this, which instead of build versus buy as this binary choice, really saying, okay, so for a lot of companies, they're gonna buy a commercial platform as a foundation because it's just, I mean, economically, it, it doesn't make sense for them to reinvent the wheel to like, you know, create their own email delivery engine, right? We've, we've kind of solved that problem at this point, you know, but to buy a foundational platform, but one that is an open platform with APIs and then their developers can build on top of that platform with whatever custom logic they need, custom apps for their customers, custom operations for how their business flows. So I, I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, yeah, so that's- um... No, but it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty interesting, uh, you systematized uh, thinking about the uh, very complex category. I, think, I find that really uh, valuable. And trying to uh, understand a little bit more on, on your day-to-day -day role at HubSpot and, and how do you think about these? I know you're aiming at building an ecosystem and you have uh, this platform for developers to build uh, on top of that. How is the decision to understand what is the key platform elements? What are the, the opportunities we want to seed and enable the community to build on top of your ecosystem? How do you, how does it uh, describe a little bit on your decision process and the team's logic on, on building the ecosystem? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's two ways of looking at that. So one way there is the, um, uh, yeah, sort of the very, uh, I'd almost call it like planned ecosystem. It's this idea that, okay, we hear from our customers about all these different things that they wanna be able to do. Now, some subset of those are gonna be things we're gonna build into HubSpot's products itself, you know, but others, we're not. I mean, we can't build everything. It's, it's, a, it's a very big world, um, you know, lots of different variations in what different customers want, you know, and so our product organization can make very strategic decisions about saying, okay, this is an area where we're gonna build, and this is an area where we're gonna leave it as white space to the ecosystem and invite others to build. Uh, and so HubSpot definitely has leaned into that. But I'll tell you, that isn't the part that excites me the most about ecosystems, is what excites me about ecosystems is not the things that you plan for them to build. It's in many ways by opening up this vector for creativity and innovation, seeing what people build in the ecosystem that you never even considered, you'd never even expected. Like, wow, I didn't realize that was a product. Um, you know, and so like one example I'll give you is, um, you know, we have the group, uh, there's a company called Org Chart Hub, 
um, in uh, the HubSpot app ecosystem. And they just built this like amazing tool for salespeople to map out the org charts of, um, uh, you know, accounts that they were selling to. But I mean, not just trying to map out, okay, who reports to who, but like, you know, who are the influencers? Who are the decision makers? You know, where are we at with the different stage? And it's such a cool interactive visual way for sales teams to collaborate on account-based marketing and account-based sales. And this is something that like, I, you know, we had certainly never predefined and say, okay, somebody's got to build this, you know, maybe the ecosystem will build it. It's like they came up with this idea entirely on their own and then turned it into one of the most popular apps, uh, you know, in the HubSpot. We're a customer, by the way. Uh, Excellent. Uh, I love it. I love it. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that's the great thing about ecosystems is they're a source of new creativity and innovation. And it's the things they do that surprise you that I think are the most exciting. And that's fascinating to see because for me, it's like the big enterprises uh, and the new startups, they are get, having to get used on a, with a model where it resembles a lot on B2C and the app store on your mobile phone. Uh, you start seeing really specific and inventive use cases, right? That's really fascinating. Any other specific app that uh, caught your attention? similar to our chart hub? Oh, wow. I mean, there is a, uh, there's a ton. I think, um, you know, what's really exciting now is seeing people, uh, you know, starting to use a lot more machine learning to like be able to identify patterns uh, that are happening across different content or different users. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I'm not just giving you this plug, but you know, I'm a huge fan of interactive content. I think, um, we're still very early in the days of people coming up with innovative ways to engage audiences in a way that, you know, isn't just like a, you know, passive consumption of something, but it actually, you know, becomes an interactive learning experience for both parties. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, yeah, we're almost to like 500 apps now in the HubSpot uh, app marketplace. So it's, uh, it's hard on any given day to like, oh, which ones are my favorite? I like so many of them. Uh, that's really cool. And just because you mentioned uh, uh, interactive, I want to dive deeper on this topic later on, but we recently launched an integration with the HubSpot ecosystem for Ion Interactive to make easy to send data to HubSpot and, and get data back. It's, uh, the customers are really enjoying this connectivity. It's super cool. Uh, and the documentation, the integration process was really smooth. I think we went from drawing board to production in one month, one month and a half. It was pretty good. Oh, that's awesome. Um, another topic still on the MarPEC side, uh, it's very clear that the marketing profession is becoming more technical and more and more technical. And I think this started uh, uh, Oracle when they launched their databases in the 80s, it created a job the database, Oracle database admin, and Salesforce did a similar with the CRM administrator. Uh, the role of the marketing technologist, how do you see it coming? Uh, who is this guy? Which companies need it? Uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, um, thank you for that question. This is, um, 
This is, so this is actually to me the more fascinating evolution. Um, I mean, the explosion of the marketing tech landscape, that crazy graphic, you know, I, that, that, that's the thing that most people look at and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, MarTech has changed so much in 10 years. But to be honest, that isn't the real story. The real story is what's happening with people and talent and the way marketing organizations are changing to have these skills and these capabilities to harness this kind of technology and the work they're doing. And so when I started the chief marketing technologist blog, I mean, like the, the very first post in like 2008 was like, hey, you know, what if you had this role that had like one foot in the marketing world and one foot in the technology world and they were able to bridge this. They were able to bring technical talent to marketing missions. Um, and so, you know, for the first, I don't know, five years, six years or so of that, this idea of a marketing technologist, I think most people thought of it as like an oxymoron. Like, wait, what? What's that? Why did you jam those two words together? Like they're on opposite ends of the career spectrum. Um, but it was when we launched the MarTech conference in 2014 and we had, uh, it was like 400 people who like just showed up uh, out of nowhere for Boston. We would have been happy if like 40 people had showed up. It was like 400, it sold out in a matter of a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, and the Harvard Business Review ended up like writing an article on, you know, hey, this new role of the chief marketing technologist. All of a sudden, it like in 2014, it was like, wait a second, this isn't just the odd unicorn here and there. This really is becoming a, a profession. Uh, and so we see it, you know, I mean, marketing technologists come in a variety of flavors. Uh, you know, I've done some recent research, you know, on that. But, you know, they're the people we think of who are building our websites, right? They're the marketing makers. Uh, they're the people working in marketing operations who are, you know, managing the MarTech stack and the way things flow and the data between them. But I would argue it's even people that, you know, are frankly, they think of themselves primarily as a marketer, right? They're, they're driving demand generation, you know, or they're responsible for some sort of, you know, like brand program. But they're, they've become really adept at using these tools uh, in, in a way that's, yeah, frankly, right, it, it, it's the absorption of some of this, you know, technical skill set uh, that in a way they're becoming marketing technologists too. So, uh, yeah, I think you see marketing technologists of many flavors uh, all throughout the marketing org now. Yeah, it's becoming, uh, it's pervasive, it's everywhere. And uh, recently, one area we, we we decided to invest a lot here at Rock was like, we call that business enablement. We benchmarked a lot with companies like HubSpot and others, because you're starting to have these systems of record for like Zoom for communications and HubSpot for lead management. And this simple webinar here, we have a, a landing page and an interactive uh, piece created on Ion. The lead goes to HubSpot and we go to Zoom and then it's live on YouTube. It's a lot of moving parts and connecting uh, all these together. It's going beyond marketing into, uh, I would call it like a platform plumber. <laughs> if I could describe that, how I see it today. Uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, so... Moving a little bit towards in interactive content. Uh, for those who don't know, Scott Brinker, alongside with Justin and Anna Talerico, 
uh, one of the founders of Ion Interactive. Ion is an interactive uh, experience platform that helps marketers create very rich uh, uh, data-driven experiences for gathering data, for delivering better experiences to the customer. Can you tell a little bit of how did you create and the concept behind it? It's a pretty uh, interesting story. I happen to know a little bit about it, but I would love you to share with the audience. Yeah, the, um, <laughs> I, I am delighted to take that uh, trip down memory lane. Um, it, uh, you know, so, Ion Interactive had been a web development agency originally. And so we'd get hired by these marketing departments at, you know, pretty large enterprise companies to build out and manage their website. Um, uh, and one of the things that was really fascinating when I learned what I learned through that is two things. Marketers have an infinite number of ideas and things they want to try out on the web. Um, uh, and at the same time, any company's major website property becomes such a big deal that the process of like building something new and rolling it out and trying it out, it, it you know, it, it, it takes a major <laughs> committee to be able to like approve this in weeks and months, you know, and so that was where Justin and Anna and I had this idea of what if you gave marketers a tool that would let them publish these really lightweight web experiences above and beyond their primary website uh, and use those experiences as a way to engage with prospects and customers in these micro campaigns. And so we released that in 2005 and it was right around the time where this concept of landing pages was frankly just new. I mean, up until then, everyone had like the website, this idea of, oh, I would create a page just for a specific campaign was new. And it's interesting, when we first built our concept for this, we weren't thinking of it as just a single page necessarily. We were thinking it was a lightweight experience, but we thought it might actually be a couple pages. It might be almost like a little path, like a little journey, almost like a little conversation. Anyways, as landing pages really started to take off in, you know, 2007, 2008, um, you know, we, uh, we stopped trying to explain to people, you know, this idea of these post-click experiences and we're just like, oh yeah, okay, well, our, our software does landing pages. Um, and that was great. So we sold a lot of software and people, you know, running, you know, campaigns and testing, you know, dozens, hundreds of landing pages. But at some point, you know, around 2011, 2012, Frankly, landing pages were everywhere. It was being built into every piece of marketing software. I think HubSpot, right? <laughs> like built, I mean, it's like, you know, landing pages were really commoditized. Um, and so we kind of went back to the well of like, well, wait a second. You know, it isn't just about a page where you just publish some content that's static and you have people do like one call to action and it's either take it or leave it, you know? What about bringing back this concept of a, a dialogue? Uh, I think it was Justin who like, yeah, called it a digital dialogue, you know? Uh, and so uh, that was just at the point in time where this field of interactive content, uh, you know, people using things like, um, you know, quizzes and assessment tools and calculators, um, starting to become a thing, we realized, well, wait a second, kind of all we have to do is repackage our original vision, you know, add a few additional capabilities onto it. Uh, and the ION platform could be a really strong tool 
for creating interactive content. So, uh, and then that was the journey uh, which ultimately led us to you, so. Yeah, and uh, I think it's uh, worth making a, a disclosure here. Uh, Ion is a part of Rock Content's family. We recently acquired Ion and Visually. Uh, and it's really nice to see the culture you guys created, the team, the amazing customers, like uh, several of these large enterprise customers are still uh, investing a lot in interactive. And we've, we're seeing an, a very uh, wide adoption of interactive across large enterprises, especially in financial services and technology industries. Uh, ROI calculators are hotter than ever mm -hmm. now, financial calculators for conversion. So it's pretty, I'm pretty happy and proud to, to get close to you and have Ion as part of our, our family. And if you could make a few bets on the future of interactive content, what would you see coming down the road? Any roadmap or ideas there? Oh boy, I mean, there's, there's so much that can be done. I think, um, you know, I mean, it's like funny, even like with Zoom, uh, you know, so we're on Zoom now. In fact, everybody on the planet has been on Zoom or a lot of other things uh, more, than, more than ever lately. Um, but you realize it's like some of the fun things of people like, you know, changing their backgrounds to express, you know, their opinions or, you know, the hand raising or, I mean, frankly, these things that are really very simple interactions but all of a sudden it changes what was this very passive stream of content uh, into something that, yeah, I mean, the audience becomes a part of it. They shape it. You know, and when I think about content marketing in general, I mean, it's a huge industry. I mean, there's not a business on the planet now of any scale, you know, that has an embedded content marketing somehow into, you know, its broader marketing organization but so much of that content is still passive, right? It's like, read this article, watch this video, you know, listen to this podcast. Um, you know, and again, there's, there's a role for that, but boy, the opportunity we have to, you know, build even these very lightweight interactive mechanisms into more of those content channels. I think interactive content has maybe penetrated about one or 2% of the total market that is available to it. Uh, and so I expect, I mean, obviously I'm biased on this. I spent like years in this. So you have to take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But uh, if I was a betting man, I would once again bet, uh, you know, over the next 10 years that, man, we are gonna see interactive content take off like wildfire. And, and just one of the questions we just got here is like, uh, how do you see the old landing pages, the more ecstatic, going into these immersive experiences? Uh, how do you see this evolution and the adoption over time? Yeah, well, I mean, again, the great thing about interactive content is it can be very lightweight or it can be, you know, uh, 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 very sophisticated, right? So, like, you can imagine, like, a very sophisticated assessment tool that you go through and it takes you 10 or 15 minutes to go through it. But on the other side, you've learned a tremendous amount, you know, about the particular challenges you're facing, what your options are for them. Um, you know, so that's sort of like, you know, very large scale, sophisticated interactive content. There's definitely a role for it. 
But I think there's so much opportunity for these lightweight interactive content elements where like you were just saying, like in, you know, in the financial industry with things like calculators. So I come to a landing page and there's a call to action to, you know, reevaluate my mortgage, you know, but before I have to commit to that call to action to just have this tiny little calculator thing that, you know, allows me to move some sliders, you know, and click a couple buttons and actually experiment with, oh, well, what would current mortgage rates be for, you know, given my area and giving this and doing it in a way that it doesn't require a commitment yet from the participant. This is really big, right? Because, you know, people, <laughs> people become wary about making commitments, you know, on the web for good reason, uh, you know, but they basically get to experiment and learn and see like, oh, wow, actually, hmm, man, this sounds like a great deal for me, you know, and then to use that to be able to make the commitment. So part of it is you're just helping to accelerate the conversion rate. But the thing that's really exciting, of course, is now not only have you accelerated the conversion rate, but the data about how they actually interacted with that, you know, can now go along with their conversion, you know? And so what you do on the next step in that journey can really leverage that data and information. In fact, actually, this is what makes this stuff so wild, I love it, is even for the people who don't convert, you also get to see the data there. You're like, oh, well, you know, when people look, you know, in this particular market at this particular rate for these particular things, they never convert, you know, what, what's our data? Oh, well, it turns out that, you know, uh, our, uh, you know, policies or our rates or something about our algorithm in that market is just completely out of whack with what the standard is, you know? Uh, and so I think just this, this idea that you could embed lightweight interactive content in anything that we've thought of as a landing page, um, boy, there's so much creative opportunity there. And if I could add one example for those who are not super, aware of uh, great examples. One example from HubSpot that I think it's super simple, it clearly communicates the message and generates a lot of value is the ROI calculator from HubSpot. You go in there, you enter your website visits, traffic, uh, and it estimates for you your long-term impact in conversions and visits. It's pretty Simple, one page, but adds a lot of value and helps the customer navigate the buying process in a very smooth way. Um, I got a few other questions here. So I'm gonna go with a, qu a question from uh, Steve. Uh, can you share a little bit on when did you make the decision uh, and why did you make the decision to go to HubSpot considering your success with Chief Martech and Ion? Yeah, um, so it was a bit of a, like the perfect alignment of the stars. Um, so with Chief MarTech and doing that whole MarTech landscape for years, one of the things that amazed me was you had all these companies innovating all these great products, but there wasn't a very strong platform mentality in the major vendors. Um, you know, I, I, I'll give Salesforce credit. I think they did it better than anyone. Um, but yeah, for a lot of the companies, right, they relatively limited surface area for third party developers. You know, this whole thing of like app marketplaces for B2B software wasn't really there. 
Um, and so for years, I felt very strongly that that was the sort of solution that would help everybody, right? It would help these app developers because it would make it easier for them to plug in and sell their stuff. You know, it would help the platform companies because, you know, they'd be able to harness, you know, all of that innovation across the ecosystem instead of just constantly thinking of it as competitive. Uh, and most of all, it would help the marketers because then they could like get the best of both worlds. It wasn't sweet or best of breed. It would be all these together. You know, so I spent a fair amount of time um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, pushing that uh, point of view uh, in the marketing industry, uh, largely with the, you know, major companies basically ignoring me. Um, and uh, yeah, and then Brian and Darmesh, uh, you know, approached me and said they were really interested in making that transformation at HubSpot and would I be willing to help? And, you know, for me, that was kind of one of those, like, you had me at hello moments of like, yes, of course, please, thank goodness, there's so much opportunity here. Uh, and it happened that they approached me just at the time that, uh, you know, ION was uh, in negotiations, uh, you know, to be acquired uh, by uh, Scribble Live, uh, you know, the company before uh, we ended up joining Rock. Um, and so, yeah, just somehow the perfect alignment of all the details was like, all right, well, this is, it, it just all worked out. I don't know if I could recreate that exact scenario again uh, if I tried, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's been a really incredible journey. Um, one question from Rodrigo, and I would like to extend a little bit with a personal curiosity. Uh, 8,000 marketing solutions out there. Uh, if you're starting, what opportunity areas do you see and if you have clear gaps? And my personal curiosity, is there any specific subset or industry you're taking a close look right now? Yeah, so I think this is the thing that constantly amazes me about the MarTech landscape is innovation can come from anywhere. So one of the examples I'll give you is uh, content management systems uh, and content management. Okay, so if you're gonna pick one category on the MarTech landscape that is the oldest category in MarTech, right? It's gotta be content management, right? This is how it started with the web, right? Uh, you know, what was that first big CMS vignette, you know, or something like that, anyways. Um, so after 20, 25 years of content management systems, you would kind of think like, okay, that market has got to be dead, right? Or it's, it's got to be totally mature, right? You know, surely the world has consolidated down to one or two large uh, content management platforms and that's it. Everybody can go on and move on to something else. Um, but the reality is like you look at the CMS market and it's had this incredible wave of innovation here over the past few years, this entire concept of like headless CMS, you know, where it's separating the concerns of, you know, content from what's actually being rendered on either websites or mobile devices. Uh, you know, you've got this new thing out there called Jamstack, uh, you know, which is this way of being able to deploy uh, in some ways, it's almost like a kind of, you know, like really fast, super fast, you know, static website pages, but those website pages use JavaScript to be able to dynamically load all sorts of services, uh, you know, through APIs on the web. Uh, and so you've got companies like, you know, Gatsby uh, JS that's become, I mean, it, they came from nowhere. Now they're one of the hottest companies, you know, in CMS. And so part of the lesson I take away from that is I think 
every category in the MarTech landscape has the opportunity for someone to look at it and say, you know, there's a better way to do this. Um, you know, I, I don't know of any marketers that I've ever met ever in my life, you know, who are basically like, oh yeah, we're, we're all set. Everything works exactly the way we want it to. We are in total blissful nirvana, you know, life couldn't get any better, right? You never meet a marketer who says that, uh, you know, I mean, they're always like, well, now that you ask me, you know, it is kind of a pain to do this, or boy, we're really struggling to, you know, get this piece of what we're doing to perform, or, you know, how do I get a better understanding of this particular kind of costume? You know, there's just so much opportunity. I think, you know, it's, it's a competitive landscape. It's hard to come up with something great. As easy as it is to publish software, it's hard to come up with a really great product that breaks through. But I see people doing it in every category all the time. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I say, yeah, let, let the dreamers dream. Uh, it's a uh, second golden age of MarTech. There is so much to be built. No, I think it's fascinating to see specifically the CMS industry. Uh, it would be very hard to have guessed that we would see a reinvention of this uh, uh, category and uh, Gatsby, Strapi, uh, uh, HubSpot launching on, on new solutions. It's really good to see lots of activity going on there. So moving on to our latest question here, our last question uh, from Kate. Uh, curious if you can give a little bit of your take on future plans, what's coming up for the uh, HubSpot ecosystem, the platforms, anything you can share if you feel comfortable to do so? Yeah, so I think, um... Um, I have to be careful about what I can share about HubSpot's future plans, but I, I, I think I am safe saying in very broad terms, uh, we are still early in our platform journey. I think there's a lot more we can do uh, in opening up more surface area throughout the product. Uh, I think there's some really exciting ways that we can continue to build this whole uh, marketplace dynamic uh, around the company. Um, you know, when I look at the number of companies and HubSpot who, uh, like most of the app developers were originally these very large SaaS companies, most of them were based in North America. Uh, but yeah, now you're starting to see this emergence of, yeah, these, these ecosystem entrepreneurs who are, you know, building products very specifically for, you know, the HubSpot install base. Um, you're seeing this emerge uh, all over the world uh, in all ge geographies. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the next several years are going to be a, a tremendous amount of innovation from these ecosystem partners. Um, yeah, I, th I think for us, for, for, for me personally, it's more of like, you know, uh, keep up. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, keep uh, evolving. Uh, you guys are doing a stellar job on creating an ecosystem. And there's going to be lots of opportunities that you are enabling. So it's a pretty exciting moment. Uh, Scott, I would really like to thank you for joining. It was great having you. Uh, before you say goodbye, I'd like to invite you to our next uh, uh, jam. Uh, our jam session, uh, I think it's two weeks from now. It's on July 7th. We're gonna have Pen Didner. Pen is the author of Modern AI Marketer and Global Content Marketing. Uh, I think it's gonna be a pretty uh, good one. 
thanks for joining, Scott. Any, how can people connect with you? How can we, uh, I, I spoke a lot about your blog and I have the RSS uh, on my reader, but for those who are, who are curious to learn more about you, yeah, well, again, thank you so much for uh, having me. Uh, oh, and congrats on getting Pam. Uh, she is just amazing. I'm a huge fan. Uh, so I'll definitely catch that uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, if people want to reach me, probably the best way is like on the blog, uh, chiefmartech.com. And that's martech, C-H-I-E-F-M-A-R-T-E-C.com. So we'll, we'll cover the why it's not ch at the end some other time um but that also happens to then be my handle on twitter uh chief martech uh, without the h at the end uh and so yeah feel free to ping me always always love to chat with people about the wild and wondrous world of martech uh thanks a lot uh in name of our listeners our rock team uh it was a pleasure having you thank thanks, you Scott. have a great day see you you too bye bye